Lord Jesus. Thank the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to read. Uh, I'm, you'll allow, you, will, you may only have to put one scripture. Matter of fact, it would be fine if you just put one scripture up and leave it there. But Proverbs 3, chapter 3 and verse 5. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. I do believe this scripture is a very key scripture to our life. It is a key scripture to our way of life. It's a key scripture to coping when things are at its worst. And it's the key scripture to rejoicing when things are at its best. It is a very key scripture for life and lifelong. Proverbs 3 and 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. There, I, as I checked through looking at the many, many, many scriptures who speak to us about trusting in the Lord and tr trusting him and leaning on him and depending on him. The Bible is just uh, chocked, plenty full enough, quite full of scriptures that tell us to trust the Lord. It's an astounding thing, the things that we take for granted, because we trust it so much. If you have a, re a relatively decent automobile... You typically do not lay awake at night worrying whether your, your automobile is going to start tomorrow morning and you're going to be able to go where you need to go. We just take it for granted and we just hit the starter and it goes. And there's a lot of things that we put our trust in. They're just We uh, get our paycheck, whether we cash it, deposit, or have it direct or whatever. We just take it for granted that the check's going to be there as long as we have that job. There's a lot of things we trust in and, and have very little doubt. And there's a lot of other things that we trust in also. Um, we really are, I, I don't really think anybody, probably of all the times you've come to this church building, have you ever tried to meet with an engineer and calculate how many tons of steel is above your head right now? That if some certain certain combination of things was would would happen, that tons of steel could come down on top of us this moment. But we don't duck. I do see some worried eyes right now. I'm sorry. We don't think about that because we just assume that whoever assembled this building knew what they were doing and they put it together right. There's a lot of things we trust in. I'm saying that to make it clear that trust is not foreign to us. When you say trust in the Lord, the word trust is not foreign to us, even though we may not think of it as trust, but it actually is. There are so many things every day. And, of course, every, every car that you meet on the highway wherein there is some divider or maybe just a single line, a little bit of paint between you going 60, 70, 80 one way and them doing the same coming against you, that somehow they're not going to come over there and take your life. We just get in our car. Very few people bite their fingernails, worry, cry, howl, scream. As they go down the road wondering any minute, somebody's going to come over here and take my life. Because we just trust that that automobile and people understand what that little paint between the two lanes mean. So when I use the word trust, I am saying, I am making it clear to us that we do trust every day life and death situations. Every day. And without going on and on, there's no sense in doing that, but each person here could think of several things of your own that we trust each day that could mean life or death 
or it could mean success or ruin. And, and sometimes it's a, bit, a very fine line between the two. I want to say concerning trust in the Lord and concerning being concerned, I, I was with, I, I felt led to take some time with some people the other day, about a week or so ago. And I went by and picked up my brother, Jimmy, and we uh, then, uh, Brother David Asel and I, actually, he came to my house and we went over and picked up my brother Jimmy. And uh, then we went over and picked up Wayne Lambert, my cousin in Oxford. And then we drove out, oh, I don't know, it was somewhere up to, up to five, six hundred miles out in the middle of the wilderness, up to, um, I don't know. But, it, but we drove out and seen the fields of watermelons that Brother Bubba Hearst has planted, and we looked across those fields, and of course the plants were young, and the watermelons were small, and they were just just growing every day, and, and we enjoyed all of it very much. After we uh, finished uh, looking at the watermelon fields and the other uh, things that were planted and, and the irrigation system and the bear tracks and turkey tracks and deer tracks and all kind of other things that we could see. We um, was on our way back and I dropped, uh, we dropped by the Wayne, Lam we dropped Wayne Lambert off and then we were going on back out to take Jimmy home out way out past Weirsdale. But the Asel, myself and Jimmy, and I don't know why, but it just came over me in such an overwhelming way. And there just in the truck with my brother, my older brother sitting to my right, but the Asel sitting right back behind, I just started weeping. And I said, you know, um, we, we do not have any preacher of any stripe or any denomination in America right now that will actually stand up and speak truth. I remember when Billy Graham was asked to pray at inauguration. I think it was Reagan, but it was one of the, one of the presidents along that time. When he prayed at that inauguration, he almost went into a travail of asking God to please forgive our nation for our sins. He didn't hold back any words. He didn't soften or sweeten any language. He begged God to forgive us of our sins. He begged God and prayed for the president and for the Congress and House and all the senators, everybody, he could, all of our uh, uh, judicial system. He prayed earnestly and then begged God to forgive us of our sins over and over. And I thought, there's so many preachers that, that are such mega preachers right now that have such an opportunity with television and Internet and all the media that's out there. But when you ask them about some of the most atrocious sins that are, that are, that are running rampant in our nation today, they will not answer it straight out. They will dance around it and roll their eyes and smile through it all and not give an answer on whether or not same-sex marriage is right or wrong. There has not been any type of preacher of any stripe, of any denomination, that has been willing to stand up and before our nation at any event that is a major event of government and ask God to forgive our nation. And I just began to weep. It was, it, was, it was such a weeping that it was actually a little embarrassing for me. And I said, we've got to have somebody that's willing to stand up. And I know that this is not the extent of it, but I never even dreamed that it would be an actual apostolic that would stand up in front of the whole United Nations and speak Acts 2.38 truth before that group and over that microphone to be transcribed into every language on earth. There needs to be more. There needs to be more in our nation if God will give us time and allow it. But I want to say that I am trusting in the Lord. I do not know who had the connections, who I don't know. Does it matter? It still was a miracle for an apostolic preacher to not only speak 
but to quote and plainly say what it is that this whole world needs and then quote Acts 2, 38 and say Jesus. I am, I am sorry to say that many, many preachers, I'm going to say most preachers, because of the peer pressure and because of just the pressure in general, that when they even pray before even county, county commissioners, pray before a city council of some little bumpkin town over in Hicksville, they're afraid to say Jesus. They'll say in the name of our Savior, or they'll say in the name of our God, or they'll just say in thy holy name, and that's it. But this man had enough courage to say Jesus numerous times that has the potential of reaching all nations. Thank the Lord. Some of my prayers are being answered. I trust the Lord. I've been praying since then that God would give us some voices, and I think this is only the, the tip of the iceberg of what, you know, I, I, it is very extremely possible that God is simply not going to use a preacher as, 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 as passionate and as great of a man in his own right as Billy Graham was. In his, he is, I know he still is, but he's not out much now. As great, and, and I was raised in the South, and I was only like 10 or 11 years old when Dr. Martin Luther King was making his speeches, and down here in the South, they were calling him a communist and all kind of other bad stuff. And I didn't know any better, and as I grew up, I knew better, and I never had thought any negative thing about racial matters since I've been grown enough to know and have my own thinking. But when I was a 10-year-old boy, I'm a 10-year-old boy, and, and uh, there was a lot of awful stuff being said, but now today, we, 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 we need even, if they, we could just find an African-American speaker to get up and say some of the things that he had the guts to say. A man that would walk down the streets and let German shepherd dogs bite at his legs and, have, and, and the people have fire hoses with full pressure, knock them off of their feet and yards down the paved highway just to try to get attention for a, a, a just cause. And yet today, people are just camera hungry. They cause more division than they do united attitudes. And I am just saying, and I'm not, I'm saying, I'm not talking about our present president. I'm talking about all presidents. And I'm talking about all civil rights leaders. And I'm talking about all leaders that would have an opportunity to say, I am a preacher of the word. Well, then preach the word. But who knows but what this generation is the generation where God has his apostolic preachers lined up. Who knows but what God has those contacts ready and those doors ready to open because surely he is coming back and surely all nations shall hear this gospel and then shall the end come. It is typical, even in Congress or Senate or wherever up in Washington, that when people are speaking, uh, anybody that's ever had an opportunity to see a little bit of C-SPAN or whatever on government uh, uh, video or whatever, uh, typically the camera's always zoomed up on the speaker. But if you could ever see a picture of the actual seating capacity, there may not be more than a couple of dozen people sitting out there where there should be hundreds. Because they're speaking not just to the people of the house in the present place, but they're speaking to the world over television. And so did Lee Stone King. And they're not just speaking to the people sitting in the, in the, in the building. They're speaking to people wherever transcripts, transcripts would be laid on the desk. And we must not forget 
that it was just a little servant girl that overheard Naaman, the great, great, great master and general of Syria, say, if only if they could know the God I know. And when they overheard her say that, and they said, tell us more about it, and it was just a little servant girl that got the message to a man named Naaman that got him to the right place and the right person so that he could receive his miracle. And today we read and preach about it and trust God even more. Praise God together. Praise God. You know, trust is a little more than just simply, well, trust is a little more than what we give it credit for, I think. You know, if I, if I gave you $1,000 to guard for me, and I said, i got to make a trip to Atlanta, I'll be back a couple of days, but I need you to really take care of this $1,000 for me. It's all in cash. Please, please watch after it. And, and I got to Gainesville, and I called you, and I said, you still got my $1,000? And you might say, yes, I do. It's safe. I'm looking at it right now. Okay. And I get up maybe to the Georgia line, and I call again. I say, you still got my $1,000. And if I did that ever 50, 100 miles or so, and all the way there and all the way back, there wouldn't really, really be a lot of trust in that. It sounds to me like there'd be a lot of distrust. It sounds like there'd be a lot of doubt. Trust is to, is to indeed have confidence in the best of times and the worst of times. Trust is to have confidence when you can see it and for yourself and when you have to just believe it unseen. And I know we have not seen Jesus, but when Jesus looked at Thomas and said, Do you see these hands that were nail-driven? Do you see the side that was spear-driven? Yes, my Lord and my God. But Thomas said, I won't believe until I see it for myself. And Jesus said, you're blessed, Thomas, because you see it and you believe it. But more blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. That is trusting God. That is trust. That is faith. We really, really should live a life of trusting God. I can assure you. I mean, I can, without any hesitation or any resistance or holding back, assure you that if you will trust God every day of your life, life you will have more peace in your life. Amen. You will be able to accomplish more because your mind will be more sharp and you will be able to put your best foot forward because you're not troubled. Trust the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding. There's really not, really, think about it. There's not a lot of things that happen each day, and really even in the course of a week for most people, especially in America. The land of plenty in spite of what the negative messages we hear There's not very many days that we even feel an urgency to depend on this verse. I'm not saying we don't depend on it. I believe I do. I believe you do. But we don't have to think about it. We don't go scrambling for the chapter and verse. Now, where was that in Proverbs? Where was that? Chapter 3, verse 5, oh, yes, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Most days we go through, we just go through them, and they're just normal days. But there are times in your life, and there are times in mine, there's times, I think, at least in everybody's life at some point, and maybe at points, when we know desperately that this is the time that I need to lean on this promise. And this commandment from God. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lead not unto thine own understanding. Most things in life we can figure out with our own understanding and we know it. But the fact is there are elements, there are spirits, there are 
good and bad forces. There are situations around us on a daily and weekly and monthly and lifelong basis that God is working out for us because we are trusting him that we may not even know about. And I thank him again for that. Beginning with Jesus and, and those, those 12 that it kind of, he kind of boiled it down to 12 main disciples who let him became, become what we know as apostles, the original 12. Mark 6 and verse 7 began and said, He called unto him the 12 and began to send them forth by two and two, gave them power over unclean spirits. Verse 8, And commanded them that they should take Nothing for their journey. Are you kidding me? When you get ready to go on a trip, a long trip, I know some folks that start packing weeks in advance. <laughs> I get ready to go to Africa or some parts of Asia and so forth, and even though there are some places in, say, Thailand that have plenty of good food and water, but you get into some places where I wouldn't trust it. And so I even take extra fresh, clear water with me. First time I went to Africa, I had more weight of water in my suitcases than I had of anything else that I took. And still the last day, by God's grace, I didn't get sick until the last day while others were sick so much. But Lord, have mercy, I needed that water. Jesus said, he sent them out two by two and said, just take nothing except your staff. No script, no bread, not a sandwich, no bread, no money in your purse. Just be shod with sandals and don't even take a second coat. In, in, in actuality, he's saying don't even take a change of clothes because a coat then covered our wardrobe. It covered our clothing. It means our clothing. Don't even take a second set of clothes. Just go as travel as light as you can travel. What was he teaching these people? He was teaching them to trust in him. And he said, when you go into a city, if they receive you, then of course preach and teach and establish. And obviously they're going to take good care of you with all the things you don't take on your journey with you. But if you go into a city and they reject you, then he says you just stomp your feet and knock the dust of that town off your feet so you don't even leave with the dust of that town on the bottom of your shoes, your sandals. And leave that town and go to the next. Now, I don't like to even think about Jesus saying I'm done with you. But Jesus did tell his disciples those words that I just said to you. If they will not receive you, shake the dust off your feet and leave and go to the next town. God is certainly wanting to save every soul. And we want to reach everywhere we can. But hear me this. Very well hear what I say. God wants everybody to have an opportunity. While some people, maybe, maybe, somebody under the sound of my voice. But while some people just kind of play with this gospel like it's some kind of a, a word game or, or like it's some kind of a, a new uh, uh, you know, trend that's come out or, or like it's kind of just, a one, uh, just one short chapter in their life. And it's just kind of a, I found, I found something kind of different and, and it's doing me good right now. But, you know, it's not really a life thing. It's just kind of a little trend I'm going through and, and, and now I'll be moving on from this. But the fact is, Jesus wanted them to just shuck it all off and put everything they got into it. Now, there's only one basket that you can really put all your eggs in, and that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who never fails. He was teaching his disciples to trust him. I believe the Lord will give us a minimum of a million dollars to start enlarging. Even if we 
popped up lighthouses all over the counties around about. If we wanted to gather together, we'd have to have a much bigger building. And I, it is very possible the Lord is going to bless us with a building that is at least three times the size or more. I'm trusting. But you see, we, talk, we can clap about building, but I want to say that uh, we need a million dollars. And I know she didn't clap. I'm sorry I deliberately set you up for that one. But the fact is that we trust the Lord. When we started, my wife and I started pastoring in Bellevue coming up on 43 years ago in May, just this coming month coming up, we, we, we just had a few wonderful people that came in that first, our first year and those that were there when we came. And I, as far as I can remember, there were 19 people that were there. I don't think all of them were old enough to vote for me to be pastor. At best I remember, there wasn't weren't all. But anyway, they were the, the number 19 is definitely there in my head, and it is definitely seared in my memory. So I'm just going to give the benefit of the doubt and say there were 19 people that could have voted for me that night. And I got all votes but one and found out that one never voted anything. <laughs> they just didn't like to commit to that type of thing, you know. And nothing, nothing sad, uh, bad to say, just that's the way some people are. But God allowed us to be pastor of this church, and I said cute things that I thought were so funny, and my wife has always said, you're not funny, don't try to be. <laughs> but see, even you laughing now, she gets the laugh because she's the one that said that, not even me. <laughs> but I used to say things from the pulpit like some of the folks that's been here from way back would remember me saying, let's pour the concrete for the footer, for the foundation, because once it hardens, they can't take it back. Ha, 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 ha. We'd all laugh. You know, and that was because I wasn't, that, that, was, that was really a, a stepping out by faith. It, it really, it was. But, uh, but back then, all the concrete for the, at least the foundation part of it wasn't just a you know, few hundred dollars, maybe $300. So it wasn't a huge, huge thing. But we had a lot more to a lot more to go than just a foundation. And we had floors and walls and all the rest that complete the building. But we, we just trusted God. And right is the time that we got ready to build or to enlarge that building to make it three times the size that it was. Um, our men that brought in a weekly paycheck, all, I'll say the word A-L-L, all, were laid off. It was a tough time. And so, even with that, we took pledges. My wife and I pledged $100. You must, you must understand, each week, the tithing, which we tried to live off of, would usually run about $30 to $60 a week, maybe $50, $30 to $50 a week. Of course, electricity was only like $25 a month. We didn't have, well, we did have one little window air conditioner, like 5,000 BTU, I think, as big as it was. And, uh, but but our, our electricity was very inexpensive, and things were not as expensive as now, but still, that's still not very good money, even for back in 1972. But we pledged $100, and there was no way in the world we had $100. I hadn't, as far as since I've been pastoring, as far as I can remember then and to now, I don't think I'd ever put my hand on a $100 bill after I started pastoring up to that point. I mean, a $100 bill. But one night, one Sunday night, after we would made that pledge without any hope or idea of where it was coming from, Trusting God, we had that hope, but not within ourselves. Brother and Sister Burroughs, who had just been baptized in Jesus' name, coming to the knowledge of the fullness of the oneness of God and so forth, they became a part of the church, and it just happened to be them. There were others that were coming in and beginning to pay some tithe, but a lot of them were laid off. But Brother Burroughs didn't do the same thing these brethren that were laid off. He did stucco work, so 
But they had also been putting back their tithing because they were looking for a church. They were actually, listen, they were actually going from church to church and knocking, finding the pastor's house or door or somebody in the church, somebody they could find, and asking from church to church, asking, how do you baptize? First they would say, how many gods are there? And most people would say one or probably. And then they'd say, what is his name? And then they would, well, and then they'd start, you know, they didn't know how to answer that. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, you know, whatever. And then the question came, how do you baptize? They, had, they, they read it in the Bible while they were sitting in a church that did not believe in baptism in Jesus' name or the oneness of Godhead. The scriptures he was reading all were oneness scriptures, and he had, he had a really tough time trying to figure out how to put a trinity in that. And they finally realized it, and they started going from church to church, I tell you, asking those questions. How many gods are there? What's his name? How do you baptize? And by the time they got to the little Pentecostal church in Bellevue over on Bab Road, they had been to quite a few places. And when Sister Daniel, who was out in the parking lot walking because Danae was about to be born and Sister Dan was the midwife, on a Sunday afternoon in between services, they asked those three questions. And Sister Daniel's got all three of them right. And they said, we have found the place that we have been searching for. You know as well as I do, not everybody is that open and honest about the Scripture. A lot of people will go all over places. I mean, go completely way out of the Bible and quote all kind of different prophets and apostles and people that they've known. And not, not Bible apostles, but present day. And quote a lot of people to try to prove some things that are not in the Bible. But it is a great thing to see somebody that hungry and that sincere and hungry for just tell me what the Bible says about this. Amen. Not what he said, she said, they said, uncle said, TV preacher said, ready to preach. Tell me what the Bible says about this. And they trusted God. And with these people, the boroughs been saving tithing. They put it in an envelope. And there was a, at least one. It may have been more than one, but there was some more money. But there was at least $100, $100 bill in that envelope. And I remember we had an evangelist at that time with the Bill Adams, the junior Bill Adams from Pensacola was an evangelist. And he was preaching for us, he and his wife. And we went into our bedroom, and, and as usually it happens, my wife grabs the tithe envelopes and starts tearing them open. And she pulled out that $100 bill. And after church that night, we came out of the bedroom dancing. I mean dancing. It wasn't some romantic dance. I mean it was like an old-time Jewish Holy Ghost dance. We came out of the bedroom dancing and shaking that $100 bill in the air and said, We got our $100 pledge. We got our $100 pledge that we made by faith. Now, y'all look at me and say a $100 pledge to some of you. That's a lot of money. To a lot of you, that's like, what? But, buddy, back then, it wasn't what. It was like we got a $100 pledge. And we didn't. We weren't thinking about a vacation. We weren't thinking about, oh, we can go buy a new suit. We made a pledge and praised God we were going to pay it. And we didn't have it. And God, we trusted God, and he gave it. Jesus was one day said, I must needs go through Samaria. And he came to the city of Samaria, and there near a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, there was Jacob's well there. And Jesus was tired, weary from his journey. He sat on the well, and it was about the sixth hour since the day, the night of the Jews starts at sundown, the day starts at sunrise. It would have been about high noon. He sat there on that well. It was not the time when most people obviously came to the well because there was only one single solitary lady there. He began to talk to this woman at the well of some, out of Samaria, this woman of Samaria. And as she began to draw water, Jesus looked at her and said, Give me to drink. And 
and uh, because that he sent the disciples on into the city to buy some food. But Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it was, who it is that saith to thee, Give me drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And then later he said, For the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. And when he's come, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said, I that speak to thee am he. And upon this, his disciples came. And they were marveling as they began to walk up toward him and seeing him talking to this lonely woman out at the well of Jacob's well near Samaria. And yet nobody would dare say anything. And so the woman then, though she was so excited, she left her water pot. And believe me, they didn't have plastic bottles or, 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 pla or wax cups. They were, they, water pots were lifelong vessels. And, but she left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come and see a man that has told me all things I ever did. Is not this the Christ? And they went out of the city and came unto Jesus. Why am I reading this? What does this have to do with trusting God? This is why it means something to me. It's because when it looks like there is such a small odds, such small odds, when it looks like you have a woman who possibly is a woman of ill repute, a woman that Jesus had said the husband you now have is not even your own husband, the one you're with now. And, and, so, and, and a woman that was at the well by herself, there's a lot of possibilities. I, I, I wouldn't want to drag her through the mud not knowing for sure, but there's a possibilities that, that she didn't have the best of reputation, just the way everything seemed to be there. But when you look at the odds of this, and that Jesus knew this woman was going to come to the well. And it wasn't a crowd. It wasn't a, it wasn't a tour bus. It was not television, radio, internet. It was one single woman and her probably not being so very sociable. But this woman went back into the city of Samaria. All it took was Jesus speaking to one woman who was the most unlikely candidate to get the job done, and the city of Samaria couldn't help it. They had to come and see such a man called Jesus. And we must apply this to our life today, right here. We must apply this to one person that you see on the job or in the marketplace or in the parking lot. We must apply this. Why can't we? Why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we apply this to somebody that we think that really they're not, they don't want this. Look at them. They're stoned out of their head. Look at them. They're, they're drunk right now. Look at that person. They're, they're not a person that you could depend on to have a revival with, as this woman certainly seemed to be that way. But Jesus saw something in her heart that was hungry. And I say to Souls Harbor, let's trust in the Lord and lean not to our own understanding. And let's tell it wherever we go, Jesus is the answer. Just a tiny, just a little bit more. Jumping back to the Old Testament, I always love the story of Gideon, don't you? I love it. I love it because, first of all, Gideon was a man of low self-esteem. But, but around him, some, some awful things were happening. The, the Midianites, I didn't say the, I didn't say the Midianites, uh, the Mennonites. <laughs> the, the Midian, the people of Midian, the Midianites. They encamped around against Israel. And they were like, I guess, the old Vikings of old. who They didn't try to just conquer a country and live there. They just stripped it of all of its wealth and goods and kept right on going. And these Midianites were that way. They'd just come in and they'd just strip it of all of its substance, every 
sheep, every ox, every donkey, everything they could get, all the vegetables and all the crops, they'd just scrape it like locusts and keep on moving. And they came up to their cattle and their tents, and, and, and they came, it was as though they were grasshoppers in multitude, like, a, like an infestation of millions of grasshoppers that appeared. For both they and their camels were without water, and they entered into the land to destroy it. But the Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. They were siphoning off everything they had to sustain themselves. The children of Israel cried unto the Lord, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. They cried unto the Lord, and there came an angel and sat down under an oak. <laughs> and the son of Joash was sitting there. His name was Gideon. And he was thrashing what little bit of wheat they had by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites so they couldn't steal it. And an angel appeared unto him and said, The Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, is the Lord with us? Why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of? Said, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us to the hands of Midianites. I just wonder if there's anybody in this church that's ever, any young people in this church, has anybody ever said, Where's all the miracles we used to we read about in the Bible? Where are all those miracles that we hear people tell about in other countries? Where are all those miracles? I'm just saying to you, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. You are not the first one to wonder. You're not the first one to say, does God still give us miracles? And Gideon went on to say, look, you don't understand. I'm a poor, I'm from a poor family. I'm not educated. I don't have it. I mean, uh, he's just telling God all the reasons, this angel, all the reasons why he couldn't do it. And the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he said unto him, O oh my Lord, where shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and the least in my father's house. But they blew their horns, and they sent out their messages, and 32,000 people showed up. But folks, 32,000 people was a good group. But it doesn't, the way the scripture paints the picture, it still don't seem like it's a match for the Midianites. But still, God said, too many 36, 32,000 people, too many. Now, I'm doing the math. God didn't have to do that math, you know. 32,000, too many. Tell everybody's afraid to go home. 20,000 people turned around and went home. 20,000 people. I can see Gideon said, Twenty-two thousand, excuse me, and ten thousand remained. The Lord said to Gideon, "The people are too many." <laughs> By this time, I can imagine Gideon just falling on the ground. <laughs> too many. Take a peek over that hill. They're 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 stripping our land and raping our land like they're locusts and grasshoppers. He said, take them down to the water. And I realize that there's a lot of types and shadows in the Old Testament, but you know, it is amazing to me what a test the water test is. I mean, when you, when you realize that water baptism was regularly exercised and even by the Apostle Peter commanded in the Bible. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. Commanded. 
And when they asked, what, men and brethren, what shall we do with all 12 apostles there? They were told to go be baptized in water baptism, and it was to be done in the name of Jesus Christ. And there's not even one single solitary place in all the Bible where anybody ever went and done what Jesus said to do when he said go baptize that ever even alluded to, mentioned, or hinted Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There's got to be a reason for that. And that's because he said in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and the name is Jesus. And so the water test, it, it, it is a test. It's a test because it's, it breaks tradition with many denominations. It's a test because we think we get the feeling like, well, maybe if I get rebaptized, I'm undoing my previous salvation. We get to thinking, if I get rebaptized, am I blaspheming God for all his goodness to me all these years up till now? It's a test. It's a great test. And sure, it is a test. It's a water test. But my question to you is, will you go ahead and obey what the Bible said and go ahead and exercise the, the very thing that they did in the Bible anyway? It's not, a, it's not a contest between this church and that church. It's just simply doing what the Bible said do. It really is. And I know the first thing we think of, and just, just within the last few days, someone emailed me, it's quite a long email, and said something to do with, you know, I just can't imagine this one and that one and that one being in hell and not in heaven. But, you know, we're not the judges of anybody. But I cannot but preach the things that the Word of God says. And you cannot but do what you hear, for faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And then the Bible said, how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach except they be sent? And it all started out by saying, this is the way you're going to be saved, is through the gospel. So finally he said, take them down to the water and see which one will just put their mouth down to the water and, and just, you know, and, and just, uh, just, just suck it up from, you know, from the water level. Or how many of them will scoop it up and lap it like a dog with a tongue and, and whatever. And whatever God's reasoning was, my little, my little mind always thinks, well, maybe if they scooped it up and lapped like a dog, they could still look for the enemy while they was lapping, you know. I don't know what the difference was. It didn't really matter. The point was, as God said, you got too many, I still got to thin them out. And when they got finished, they went from 32,000 down to 300. What am I talking about? I'm talking about trusting God. What was the whole point of, of bringing it from 32,000 down to 300? God said to Gideon, if I let 32,000 soldiers go out there, they're going to say, we won the war, and they won't give God the glory. But if I get it down to 300, and they go out there and the war's won, they'll know God did this for us. You know, I remember a preacher by the name of Brother Elgin Vaughn. I think his name was Elgin, but the Vaughn lived in Fresno. And he used to tell the story. And look, I went to their house. They were African-American people, but they lived on one of the finest streets. They lived right beside an Asian doctor on one a surgeon on one side, and some other really, really wealthy person on the other side. And these people didn't pastor that big of a church, but better they had everything first class. Let me tell you what he said. He said, if I find a red, shiny penny on a sidewalk or a floor, he said, I will pick it up, and I don't care where I'm at, supermarket, sidewalk, parking lot, I'll pick it up, and I'll do a dance. He said, now praise the Lord for a penny, and if we'll praise God for our pennies, he'll give us homes in millionaire neighborhoods. I'm talking about trusting God, and I'm talking about a man I heard give his testimony and a man I stayed in his home and preached for him, and it's a true testimony. Yeah. 
And these people were like Gideon. We come from poor families. But God wants us to trust him. Take your little time out and just dance a little because you got a little bit done. Take a little time out and shout a little bit, clap your hands, look a little silly. Come on, just for Jesus. Every now and then, just look a little silly because look what the Lord hath done. Let's trust in the Lord with all of our might. Lean not to our own understanding. For the Lord will provide when it looks impossible, when it looks like there's no way. God will find a way. He will make a way where there is no way. Oh, let's just shout a little more. Let's praise a little more. Oh, one of the Hebrew words for praise means to act clamorously foolish. That's what it means. One of the Hebrew words for praise means to act clamorously foolish. I don't know exactly how to do that, but I'm going to praise the Lord. the Lord has given me the privilege of not carrying. It's a privilege. You heard the word privilege first? Of not carrying the load of pastoring a church, but to get to just love to watch you and worship with you and teach every now and then and be here with the good pastor, my own son. You can't get any better for me. <laughs> It's a wonderful thing. But I know a God that can let me dream and have visions. I'm old now. I guess i got a dream. Sorry. That I can dream of a church sitting on a beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous, rolling green somewhere. With palm trees and hundreds of acres orphanage retirement homes nursing home maybe state of the art school science labs congregation full of beautiful people praising God like tonight and we just can't keep building fast enough. And we just can't keep enough. We don't hardly have enough preachers to baptize them all. You see, there are places like that here in Marion County waiting for us just to trust the Lord with all of our hearts. 